First, let's set the scene. During the Napoleonic Wars, where Napoleon fought a lot of wars, the French had fought some wars in Italy, and a place that was close to this was Algeria. At the time, Algeria isn't Algeria as we know it today. It was part of the larger Barbary Coast, which were dependent on the Ottoman Empire, but enjoyed relative independence. The French bought some grain to feed their soldiers, obviously, and this was during the 1790s, and they refused to pay for this. And 30 years later, the Dey, or the leader of Algeria at the time, demanded the French pay them back. So Charles X, the king of France at that time, sent Pierre de Val to negotiate with the Dey of the Barbary Coast. After some initial negotiations, the day set a deadline for a final answer and a final payment. When Pierre Duval refused and declined to give a statement, and they met once again, the day looked at him sternly, picked up his fly whisk, yes, the thing that you hit flies with, and slapped him right across the face. When Charles X heard about this, he initially demanded an apology. Then, in order to placate the Napoleonic veterans who he was falling out of favor with, decided to blockade Algeria. But then, inevitably, France invaded Algeria on June 14, 1830. And this began a 132-year occupation of Algeria by the French. All because the French refused to pay and some guy got slapped. History is a wild place. This week on Coffee Shop Talk, we're going to be looking once again at anti-colonial fights. But this time, we're looking at Algeria. While the previous episode featured three distinct stories, I decided to save this episode solely for Algeria. Why? Maybe it's because I'm a little biased because Algeria is our next door neighbors. Or maybe because this story is interesting. I mean, the opening scenes, the reason why the French are even there is kind of interesting. And we're going to see how much of an effect football had in liberating Algeria from the French occupiers. Through some good old football and astute political maneuvering, Algeria, and specifically the National Liberation Front, or known in French as Front de Libération Nationale, or simply known as the FLN, were able to achieve Algerian independence on July 5th, 1962. So let's get started with this story. So now that we know the scene, now that we understand Algeria in relation to France, let's get a little more specific. Algeria, like mentioned in previous episodes, wasn't a colony, wasn't a mandate, wasn't a possession of France. It was part of France. Maybe Algerians didn't see it that way, but the French certainly did. By the time of Algerian independence in 1962, over a million French people, or known there as Prianois, were living in Algeria. Though distinct from the local Algerian Muslim population, Algeria was part of France. It was a state of France, just as California is the state of the United States or Texas is. Algeria was a state of France, with national representation in the National Assembly, though only voting rights for the one million French people living there. And because of all this, France did not want to lose Algeria. 
They were resigned to lose Morocco or Cameroon or their other colonial possessions. But Algeria, no. No, they were not. They were going to fight to the bitter end to make sure that Algeria stayed part of France. And obviously, Algerians didn't like this idea so much. And during the 1950s, anti-colonial pressure and sentiment became more and more common, just as it was throughout the rest of the continent. And in order to achieve this and to fight in the stead for independence, like I said, the FLN was established. But the FLN understood something, that yes, they could keep fighting for this, and yes, they could rally support, but there's nothing like rallying support, like establishing a national football team, a team comprised solely of Algerians. And to counteract the norm of Algerian-born, Algerian-raised players playing for the French national team. So they recruited heavily from the Ligue 1 of players who are of Algerian descent playing in the French National League and included many high-profile players. After successful negotiations, they were finally able to convince a group of Algerian players playing in France to come join the FLN national team. And on April 13, 1958, a group of 10 Algerian players who were based in France, including Mohamed Mariouche of Stadriam, made their way to Tunis, the base of the government of the Republic of Algeria. It was a high-profile escape. They escaped through Switzerland, and at one point, Mohamed Mariouche got arrested by Swiss police, but were inevitably let go. This high-profile escape garnered worldwide attention. The New York Times even reported on the incident and even hailed the act. And in order to mirror this for the American audience, they compared it to the flight of every single Latino player leaving the MLB all at one time. This was a high-profile incident of some of the best players who played not only for the national French team, but also for the league itself. Now, while this team was getting set up, as they are now based in Tunis, there was also another incident. As the violence within Algeria heightened during the 1956 to 1957, the FLN assassinated an Algerian collaborator with the French at the French Cup final in Paris in May of 1957. This incident shows not only the extent to which the FLN was going for independence, but also the significance of football, and that by doing this act at a football game, you were receiving worldwide attention. Furthermore, an Algerian club, a amateur Algerian club, decided to attend the World Youth Festival in Moscow, Soviet Union. And what they did at this event was an outright declaration of independence by waving an Algerian flag. This was big news. This was the first outright declaration of independence from the French. And that same club would go on to tour other Arab countries to fundraise and raise awareness about their struggle. On top of that, a lot of the coaching staff of the amateur club were actually people that were high-ranking officials within the FLN who were actually former players themselves, such as Mohamed Boum Ezrag and Farhat Abbas. And during this time, Abbas famously said, on a man-to-man basis, on the field of football, we can show them who is really superior. And that's the thing about football, is that it is meritocracy at its finest. You can complain about 
bribing refs or match fixing or corruption those things exist but on the field at the end of the day football at its purest at its finest can really show from a competitive standpoint who is the better man who is the better team and most of all who is the better country if the french were going to continue to say we're better than the algerians we're better than the africans but algeria can prove that they can beat france at their own game at best was trying to paint this picture he was trying to tell everyone no on the field we can show them who we are who algerians are who we africans are and that's a sentiment that algeria carried throughout this entire struggle as the fln finally got the national team within structure using some of the players from this amateur club along with the 10 high profile players who made their escape from france during 1958 this team, this new Algerian national team, included some very high-profile players, such as Mustafa Zitouni of AS Monaco, Saeed Brahimi and Abdelrahman Bouchouk of Toulouse, Amar Rawi of Angers, and famous striker Rashid Mekhloufi of Saint-Étienne. While all of these players played in the National French League, some of these players, including Zitouni, represented France at the 1954 World Cup in Switzerland. And they abandoned the opportunity to play at the 1958 World Cup in Sweden for the chance to liberate their home country, not their adoptive home country. On top of that, they also abandoned lucrative contracts in France to join this new Algerian national team free of charge, simply for the fact of independence and the struggle for it. This new Algerian national team one that would represent who Algeria is and what it stood for, would be coached by Mohamed Boumedzrak. This new Algerian team would utilize African skills, such as finesse and combined with fluid passing. They utilize a 4-2-4 system, similar to the high-octane sp- attacking style of the Brazilians that they had become known for during the 50s and 60s. They emphasize attacking play, and this was done to show three things. One, their opposition to the French defensive style. By playing high-octane attacking style, you are at odds with the way the French play, and therefore at odds with French values and French ideals of defense, defense, defense. The second was to put on a show for spectators. Of course, this is football we're talking about, and yes, it's a political movement, But you need to put on a show for spectators. If spectators aren't enthralled and invested in the way you're playing, especially when you have a political statement on the line, why would they buy into your statement if you're boring to watch? You can excite more people. You can invite more fans, more people who would have thrown away the idea of Algerian independence and recruit them to your cause. The third and final one is the clear intent of being on the offensive in their pursuit of independence. The FLN wasn't going to negotiate their way out of this. The FLN was going to use whatever means it took, even assassinating people, bombing people, to make sure that they had independence. And all of you sitting there unfamiliar about French and Algerian relations would be quick to judge, wow, the Algerians are insanely aggressive in their political movement achieving independence through torturing bombing and all these other things well let's take into the note 
that they weren't the only ones. If anything, they were just reacting to the way the French were treating them. For 132 years, nearly a million to two million Algerians were killed at the hands of French people, what most consider a genocide at this point. Algerian people were disenfranchised, their rights stripped away, and felt like second-class citizens to the almost one million Pianois within Algeria. We can discuss for days the ethics of liberation movements and revolutions, but at the end of the day, this is the path FLN took. And France not only reacted, but also started this whole thing. So it's a back and forth of who was first, the chicken or the egg. But we can all agree that the movement for liberation and a revolution sometimes necessitates extreme actions. And the thing about this national Algerian team organized by the FLN and coached by Boumetsrak was that for those 90 minutes on the pitch, while their country was still under the thumb of the French, Algeria was a proud and independent nation. Someone once stated, in national uniform, standing under a national flag, singing an anthem, and competing as a recognized nation. For those 90 minutes, you are Algeria. You're not the Algerian colonial possession of France. You're not 132 years of occupation. You are Algeria, the essence of Algeria. You represent Algeria when you're on that pitch. During this entire fight, the FLN decided now was the time to join FIFA. However, this drew stark opposition from Western leaders, and the Algerians had to look east for support for their independence movement and to showcase their new national team. Just as the amateur team that we talked about went to go visit Moscow, this national team would also visit Eastern Bloc nations during 1959. They returned with 12 wins, four draws, and five losses. Man, I really wish Arsenal could perform that well. But what this tour shows is that the Algerians could compete. I mean, these teams from the Eastern Bloc, such as Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, the Soviet Union even, were really good teams. These weren't teams that anyone could just like toss aside these were teams that were regularly competing at the highest stages of the world cup and at the olympics to for algeria to come back with a 12-4-5 record is impressive and showcases what algerians are and showcases that there is something behind this independence movement and that they could represent their country well enough they would go on and take another tour to china and north vietnam where they won eight drew one and lost two and they were greeted by Fan Fan Dong. Probably butchered that name, but he was the Prime Minister of North Vietnam from 1955 to 1976. That is one hell of a Prime Ministership, like, for almost 21 years. I don't know. That's kind of a fishy length. Anyway, he exclaimed, when the Algerians came, he exclaimed, We defeated France, and you have defeated us. Therefore, you will defeat France. That's like some like peak associative property mathematics. Like, I beat, we beat them, and you'll beat us. And it's not even the same field. Like, North Vietnam beat France on the battlefield. Algeria beat North Vietnam on the soccer field. So you know what? Algeria will definitely beat France on the battlefield too. Great logic. But 
to show this sentiment of what football means, not only for Algeria, but for the rest of the world, as evident by Dong's comments. That football, along with the similar statement from Ferhat from earlier, where you can really show who's the superior man and who's the superior team, showcases the importance of football and independence. The FLN's football team would take only one more tour of Arab countries during the early 1960s, the activity of the football team dissipated as the first swing of FLN's activities were crushed by French forces during the late 50s and early 60s. However, Algerian independence would inevitably be achieved. Through the thousands of lives lost, political maneuvering, and a great football team, Algerian independence was achieved and caused the fall of the Fourth Republic of France, the loss of over a million Algerian lives, and after pressure from the UN and key ally Charles de Gaulle, President France at the time resigned to opening negotiations with the FLN, paving the path to Algerian independence on July 5th, 1962. While the story of Algeria ends here, we have to see how it affected the other countries on the continent. Though we talked about three other stories in the previous episode, let's look at how it affected on the larger picture. As mentioned last week, there was an introduction of intercolonial competitions, especially in French Africa. The French West Africa Cup that saw the nations of Senegal, Mauritania, Guinea, Cote d'Ivoire, Benin, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger compete, fostered a mutual opposition to their French overlords. National identities were now being developed along these lines. All over the continent, the sport became a symbol of meritocracy and a dismantling of racial hierarchies. It was, at its peak, football, a symbol of national identity. And because of the access to better education, financial improvements from the end of the Second World War, increasing anti-colonial sentiment, cosmopolitan African cities and nationals, and most of all, a growing passion for the game, all helped to liberate Africa from their colonizers. And by the end of 1960, dubbed the Year of Africa, the majority of the continent was now free through the tireless work of men, women, and children. And furthermore, the passion of football, the passion for football, gave people this national identity. So now we're done talking about Europe putting their thumb on these African countries. Now it's talking about how does Africa move forward? How does this continent move forward? How do these nation states move forward? And most of all, how does football on this continent move forward? What role will football continue to play? Football has played an important role in liberating Africa through the work of Africanization. But what is Africa going to do with football from now on? What is football going to do for Africa from now on? And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the season. Now, it's about football in Africa in a post-colonial age. This is your host Yusuf Ben Mira from Coffee Shop Talk signing out and saying, come on you gunners.